1 Samuel chapter 13 verses 1 to 15. Saul was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned over Israel for 40 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were, were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become an offence to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They were up encamped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon, when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin in Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Let's pray again as we open this scripture together. Lord, uh, you, Lord Jesus, are the one that opened the eyes of the blind. And we're asking, Lord, that you would do a powerful spiritual work in our hearts through this word that we, please, Lord, would see. Um, because each one of us are blind until you, by your gracious hand, open our, our black, blind, dull eyes. Uh, we need you so deeply and desperately, Lord, and we ask for your help and thank you that we can pray in 
the name of our Saviour Jesus. Amen. The scripture that we come to today uh, frightens me a little bit because it deals with uh, the rejection of a leader. Everything looked fine from this leader's perspective, uh, but not from God's perspective. And I'm a leader, and most of you in some ways are a leader, even in your family or at school or at uni or in some capacity, you're a leader. And so it's with a certain amount of trembling um, that I come to this passage. Um, You might say, oh, no, she'll be fine. You don't need to worry. But Saul had been chosen by God and he'd been filled with the Spirit. In fact, it's said that he'd been changed into a new person. He had amazing confirming signs that he was to be the one that was to be king over Israel. And he had just had a stunning victory over the Ammonites and he had natural obvious gifting. But here, in this passage, we discover that Saul would be rejected. And it leads ultimately to his death in battle in a few chapters' time. So I want us to look at this passage together with open hearts to learn what kind of person is it that pleases God and doesn't get rejected. Saul was the first king of Israel And we learn in this passage that he established the very first standing army. Saul had 2,000 with him uh, in Michmash and his son Jonathan had another 1,000 at Gibeah. Now Jonathan is the one that attacks the Philistine outpost. The Philistine army and the Philistine people were down further south but They had outposts around and there was an outpost here at at Gibeah and Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, uh, attacks this outpost. And the Philistines, the main Philistine nation down south, hears about it. Saul, the king of Israel, blows the trumpet through the land and he said, let the the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news that Saul, namely Saul's son Jonathan, had attacked the Philistine outpost um, and Israel had become obnoxious to the Philistines. In another translation it says, Israel had become a stench to the Philistine nation. And so... Saul knew now that this is no longer just going to be a few people sprinkled around the place of Philistine outposts here and there. This is going to be all-out war. And so Saul summons the, the nation of Israel to Gilgal. The Philistines uh, assemble at Michmash. 
And it says that there were 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, uh, which is, if you've seen the same movies that I've seen, the chariots often have two charioteers on them. So for every chariot, two charioteers, 6,000 charioteers. And it says that uh, an army of soldiers so vast that it was like sand on the seashore. Israel saw the situation they were in. This massive army assembling. And they knew that they were in trouble. The situation was critical. And they start to hide. It says there that they started to hide in caves. Just imagining if I was part of that army right now. But it says that they were starting to hide in caves and thickets like in in the scrub and in rocks, behind rocks and in pits and in cisterns. And some even were crossing the Jordan. They were running across, going back across the Jordan. There was terror in the land of Israel. I wonder if you've ever been in that place in your own heart and your own life where you've just been gripped, just been gripped by terror. And that was what's happening in the land of Israel at this time. All thoughts of the faithfulness of God. Do you know, have you ever been there? All thoughts of the faithfulness of God have just sort of kind of totally vanished like a cloud out of your mind and you're just gripped um, by fear. Instead of um, Israel, a few chapters ago, it, it says Israel just came as one man, as one unit to face the Ammonites. Here, this is the opposite. Here is the, it's just embarrassing. They're hiding. <laughs> They're just hiding in holes and rocks and in scrub and just wherever they can go. They're just, they, they, the Philistines were this amazing one unit army, but the people of God were just scattered all over the place. It says that Saul remained with his troops, but they were quaking with fear, and they waited seven days, the appointed days that um, that that Samuel had set, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. I take this as a reference to, in chapter 10, Samuel had said to Saul, I want you to go to Gilgal and I want you to wait for seven days until I come to you. When I come and do the sacrifices, then I'll tell you what to do. And, and Saul did wait for, for seven days, but Samuel hadn't come. And so Saul, terrified, said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings, doing what only a priest was ever allowed to do. He waited, yes, but he didn't wait until Saul Samuel came and he took 
the prerogative of doing what only a priest was ever allowed to do. Just as he'd finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. And it's, it's, it's as though Saul just goes out and just thinks things are fine. And he goes out to say, G'day, Samuel, how are things? Glad to see, I'm glad that you're here at last. Where have you been? And, but Samuel says, what have you done? It's like, what on earth have you done? Do you know that question, what have you done? is the same question that God asked Adam. What have you done? It's the same question that God asked Cain when he murdered his brother Abel. He says, what have you done? It's the same question that Joshua asked Achan. What have you done? And Saul replied, well... When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I forced myself. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. That word foolish is actually a very harsh word. You've you've acted like someone that doesn't believe in God. You've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Saul, if you just kept the command of the Lord. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and has appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Can you imagine a more pressurised situation to be in? I'm just trying to put myself in Saul's shoes. Can you imagine a more pressurised situation? This massive Philistine army ready there to totally destroy you. And, and, and here you are, with the, 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 the men are scattering and they're hiding in holes and even the ones that are with you are beginning to scatter and this incredible, incredible pressure, just this moment of pressure right now. And Samuel says to Saul, in the heat of the moment, You did not trust and you did not keep the Lord's command and your kingdom won't endure. I want you to think together with me a little bit about Saul because here is a leader that we've grown to love, a leader that I think Samuel loved. He had great natural gifts, chosen by God, filled with the Spirit. There he was, everything. Do you know people with great natural gifts? Leaders? Everything that looks just fantastic. About It's clear that God has called them. And yet, 
Here is a tragedy. One of the great tragedies of the Bible. Despite all that we've grown to love and admire about Saul, under pressure there was something wrong. There was something about his character that was displeasing to God. Do you know if I was in Saul's shoes, I can imagine myself doing what he did. I can imagine myself um, under that great pressure doing what Saul did. And to me, it's very sobering because what was Maybe there's things that seem totally fine to me, but I'm blind to what's wrong. I'm blind to what's wrong in my heart. For Saul, he did something so serious that he loses the kingdom and he's rejected as king. When Samuel does not come, he waits. He waits. And when Samuel does not come, he makes the sacrifices. He doesn't wait until Samuel comes. He says, no, it's too late. I can just imagine him. He's got these people. Almost certainly, I mean, this is almost certainly, I reckon, Samuel had these people on the lookout. Look out for when Samuel, Saul had the people on the lookout. Look out when Samuel is coming. Tell me when he's coming. And for seven days he's waiting. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. Tell me, where is he? Has anyone seen him? Has anyone seen Samuel? And because this, this massive army is right there and, and he's looking for him. But when Samuel did not come, Saul makes the sacrifices. He doesn't... In, in, in making the sacrifices, he's saying, well, I'm going to act because it doesn't seem like God's going to act. He did it his way. He did not ultimately wait for Saul For Samuel. Do you know Abraham waited for a long time for God to give him a son, but it didn't happen. And so he thought, hmm, I think I better do it my way. And so he sleeps with his wife's handmaiden. But God says, no, it's not, it's not, it's not the way it's going to be. It seems like when, when Saul sacrifices these animals, he, it, it seems that fear is dominating his heart. It, it's, that, it's that everyone is scattering, and instead of Saul fearing the Lord, he's fearing the Philistines greater than he fears the Lord. Um, his, his act was an act of desperation. His faith was in 
a religious thing. Doing a sacrifice. Rather than in the person of who God was. It's almost as though he thought to himself, oh, I'm going to make these sacrifices, this might do the trick. <laughs> this might do the trick. Everything's got This religious thing I will do and maybe this will do the trick. But he's not trusting in the faithfulness of a living person. God. There is something sinful in the way that Saul thought he could get favour from God. I've got a friend um, who was a Hindu and he's become a believer in Christ. And he tells me that when he thinks back about how his family would take these food offerings to the gods, his aunties and his family, and they take the food offerings to the gods. When he thinks back, he says, I realise now, in actual fact, when they brought those food offerings, and they're still doing it today, he said, it's actually very selfish because they're not actually interested in the gods and they're not interested, they are interested in getting the good things for themselves. They want to they wanna, be ahead of that person over there and they want to be better than the neighbours over there and they want to advance themselves and so they're bringing these sacrifices, these offerings to the gods so that they get what they want. <laughs> they want what they want. And they're bringing these sacrifices to the gods, not real devotion to God, but to get what they want. Do you know it's possible to come to God with a wrong heart? Or wanting to come to God to do a religious thing so that he will do what you want him to do. <laughs> And, and, and you are manipulating God because you want to run the universe. So here's the danger. Instead of having a heart to please God and trusting him, but having a heart to get God to do what you want him to do, out of not out of faith but out of fear so here are some lessons here are some lessons that three lessons that maybe each one of us can learn from this chapter in Samuel number 1 when things are really 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 bad in your life and you're under a lot of pressure we are still called to trust in God. Saul was hard-pressed, but he acts without faith in God. The Lord is wanting us, even when things are really hard, to trust in him, to trust in him. Number one. Number two... It's possible to do religious things that you would think would make God happy but actually displease God. Yes, it is. 
It's possible for you to think to yourself, I will go to church today, it's a religious thing that I'm going to do, and he should be happy with me this week. (laughs) He should be really pleased. He will bless me this week. It's this religious thing that I do. Or maybe you think if I pray so many times a day, maybe that will get God's favour. He will be happy with me if I pray enough, if I do a religious thing. It's not that I love him, but I just want him to do what I want him to do. I want good things from God. So I just come and he will give me a koala stamp for coming and I will get blessed. Do you know for believers, for Christian believers, we don't come to get God to do what we want him to do. We come as those that have received everything in Christ and we come to worship him and delight ourselves in him. He's given us everything. It's possible to come to church and to... um, I know people that say that this is... This is their, has been their life where they come to church and they confess their sins, they make the confession of their sins to God in church and then they go and live however they like. Uh, live however they like. But they've done the religious thing hoping that it'll please God. Do you know as a pastor, so maybe... I'm just preaching to myself here. But this is what can happen in my heart. Many, many times I'm longing for God to work in power. For many people to come, to love Christ, to to come into the kingdom, to... I'm longing for that. And... Sometimes I can find myself thinking, I thought the Lord would have turned up by now. I thought the Lord would have done something by now. And I can start to think, well, this is a danger for a leader. Well, what can we do? Will we make the chair softer? Or we make the lights brighter? Or we make the band better? Or we, what will we do? What levers can we pull? <laughs> what things can we do? Some external thing so that God will do what I want him to do. And it's wrong. If it is not the Lord, if he doesn't turn up, if he is not working in power, if he does not bring repentance, if he does not bring us in tears, if he does not reveal himself to us in glory, if it's not him, if it's not him, then nothing's going to happen. It's got to be him. It can't be our human manipulation. It can't be us pulling this lever or that lever. It has to be. Ultimately, it has to be him. And when you read the stories, if you've ever read them, of when God comes in power during revival, it is totally him. Astonishing. First lesson, when things are really, really bad, we're still called to trust in God. Second lesson is, it's possible to do religious things. 
that we think would make God happy but actually displeases him. And thirdly, lastly, we are all failures. Do you know, I fear that if I was Saul, I would have failed the test. What we really need is a king who would trust God in the most desperate, desperate circumstances. What we really need is a king who will trust God in the most desperate of circumstances. We have said that Saul is the first king of Israel and we have said that Jesus is the last king of Israel. And do you remember his desperation in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood? He was sweating drops of blood and he says to his father, Father, if there's any other way, if there is any other way, take this cup away from me. You know, he was not just facing a Philistine army. He was facing evil itself. He was facing sin and death and hell. And there he was in the most desperate situation, sweating drops of blood. But he says, Father, but not my will. Not my will. Not my will. But yours be done. He trusted God. We need a king, and we have a king in Christ. We're all failures. Me too. I'm first one. But I've got a king. I've got a king who has obeyed for me, even the most desperate situation. He obeyed for me. His obedience is now given to me. Do you know that that Saul's army was scattering? all over the place. They were scattering. (laughs) And his heart melted. And he made the sacrifice. But we learn that in with Jesus, his disciples were scattering. (laughs) They came to arrest him and and all the disciples fled. (laughs) I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And they all scattered. But Jesus continues on trusting his father. I'm going to trust the Lord. No one's coming to help him. No one's coming to save him. But he continues on and he trusts God. He went through. He did not fail, even under the most extreme pressure. So, brothers and sisters, we're failures but, but we've got a king who has made, given us his victory. We've got a king, Christ, who has, he sacrifices himself for us. We've got a king that now God is for us and we are his and are safe in him. We've got a king and the, the, all the army of sin and death and hell is conquered because of him, because we are now called into his army We are his. We are his. We are his. Brothers and sisters, forget about trying to manipulate God with any kind of religious exercise, this, that, the other. Go to Christ. 
Go to the one who has died and risen. He's risen with great power and he's for you. He loves you. Yes, you are a failure. Yes, you cannot do it. Yes, I know. But here is one, Christ, who has done it for you. And we are called to trust him now. We're trawled to go into your week, in your workplace this week, into school, wherever you are at school, at uni, wherever you are at home, and trust this king, this risen, risen king. He is for you and his love is for you. He'll not leave you. Let me pray. Lord, please would you... Lord, we just know that we can't, we can't do this. We can't. We're, we're not the saviours. We're not the victors. We, we are frail. But, Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he was obedient and now his righteousness becomes ours. Thank you that... We have a king who never, ever failed you. And Lord, help us to have trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.